Welcome to Empowered for Life, a weekly audio podcast with Pastor Dr. Dwight A. Smith, teaching the Bible with clarity and relevance, tackling today's topics and issues, bringing healing and restoration into the lives of hurting people. Hello, greetings and welcome. I'm your host, Pastor Dr. Dwight A. Smith, here with podcast episode number 10, Accessing Kingdom Teachings That Relate to Daily Living. Welcome back. In this podcast, we will begin to look at the prophecies concerning the death of the Messiah, the death of Jesus Christ. We will look at death by crucifixion and understand that around the time of these prophecies, the time that these prophecies were given, there was not even thought of or not even imagined a death by crucifixion, for it had not yet been done. And so when we look at this, we will look at the prophecies concerning his crucifixion, but also what was not even thought of or even imagined was that the Messiah would die at all. And so we will look at the crucifixion and the death prophesied concerning the Messiah and look at the fulfillment of those prophecies. Let's begin. Before we begin, let's let me just remind you of the probability of all of these prophecies being fulfilled by one person or a person putting themselves in the position to try to fulfill these prophecies would be like taking the state of Texas and filling it 12 inches deep with silver dollars and placing in it one gold dollar and then taking a blind man and letting him reach in and pull out one dollar. The probability of him pulling out that gold dollar on the very first try is just like any one person trying to fulfill all of the prophecies that have been pre-recorded concerning the birth, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would be impossible for any one person to fulfill them. However, because God sent the prophetic word, because God sent his Son, born in the likeness of sinful man, born in the flesh, God already knew that he would fulfill through Christ every prophetic word that had been spoken. And therefore, Jesus Yeshua, the Christ, would be the anointed one, the Messiah that was prophesied and spoken of in the scriptures. So we will begin to look at prophecies concerning his crucifixion and his death. First of all, remember that the Jewish people looked at it from this perspective. First of all, the Messiah should not die at all. And secondly, that he should die by a form of punishment not even known by the Jewish people. Let's begin with Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and it reads, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one who grieves for their firstborn. 
here we see that the Lord will pour on the house of David, the house of David being the children of Israel, being the Jewish people, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he's going to pour out a spirit of grace. Here, prophetically speaking, the children of Israel facing complete threats of destruction and elimination in the last days, the Jewish people will then turn their hearts to God and ask for mercy. And many of them will realize that Jesus is the true Messiah. And once they come to this realization, they will turn their hearts back to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 9, it reads, Then he said to me, the, the Lord God saying to Ezekiel, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds, and breathe into the slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, Ezekiel said, and as he commanded me, and the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in the meadow, like partridge trees by flowing streams. Here we see the Lord talking about the spirit of grace that is upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and on the house of David. And a part of this prophecy is concerning the fact that this land in which they inhabit is going to receive the spirit of grace as well. Look at Ezekiel 39, 29. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. So you see, even in the prophetic words spoken concerning the house of David and the inhabitants of Israel, God says here that his face will not be hidden from them and he's going to pour his spirit on them. His face, God's face is seen in Jesus Christ. For the Bible declares that he is the expressed image of the Father. An image is an exact representation. So we see in Jesus Christ the face of God the Father, for he is the expressed image, the exact representation of of God the Father. Look at Joel 2 verse 28. And afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Here we find a prophetic word concerning all people of the earth after the life, after the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is going to release his spirit and it will be on all people. So Jew and Gentile alike will be able to receive the spirit of the Lord God and the spirit will come by way of the Holy Spirit who will abide in the hearts of man. It will cause man to change from the inside out that they can be conformed to the image of Jesus the Christ, that they can have their minds 
renewed by the Spirit of God and they can live according to the Word of God and represent Christ in the earth. Go back to Zechariah 12:10, And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. And here's what I want to uh, dwell on for this moment. They will look on me. They will look on me. Now look at Psalms chapter 22, verse 16. And it reads, Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierced my hands and my feet. All of my bones on display. People stare and gloat over me. Here he's prophesying that he's going to be pierced in his hands and his feet. This is the form of death in which he's going to die. And there is surrounding him. They are encircled him. They are all around looking up at him, gazing at him, looking at him. It says they will look on me, the one they have pierced. So they look on the one they have pierced. And then it says, and they will moan for him. They will moan. With enemy forces closing in on them, the children of Israel, the people of Israel, they will cry to God for help. The Lord will respond by sending his Holy Spirit with special grace, undeserved favor and mercy. He will bring an answer to their desperate prayers and their eyes will be open to the fact that Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah that Jesus is the Savior and the Deliverer who they had been waiting for to rescue them. And as a result, they will entrust themselves to God. The people will respond by accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And they will recognize that this is the same Jesus that they had participated in crucifying and had put to death and that the Roman soldiers, this is the one whose side was pierced by the Roman soldiers. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. So here we see in John's Gospel the fulfillment of that prophetic word that we read in the Psalms, that they would pierce his side. Let's look at the scripture in John's gospel, chapter 20, beginning with verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Messiah, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand, and put my fingers in the in where the nails were and put my hand into his side i will not believe verse 26 a week later his disciples were in the house again and thomas was with them though the doors were locked jesus came and stood among them and said peace be to you then he said to thomas put your finger here see my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told them, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Thomas stated he would not believe until he could see with his natural eyes. But Jesus says to you and I, we are blessed because we have not seen it with our natural eye, but we believe the report that have been left for us that he not only was crucified, he was not only nailed in his hands and his feet and pierced in his side, he was not only buried in a grave, but death could not hold his body down, that he was raised from the dead, that he was seen of men, and that he now resides at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us, and that if we believe this, we are blessed because we believe. Let's go back and look at something else here in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, and we'll begin with verse number 20. After he said this, he's, no, let's go back a little further. Uh, we'll go back to verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them, he showed them, referring to the disciples. Now understand, Thomas is not with them then, but he also shows them his hands and he shows them his side so that they would be able to recognize who he was. He shows them his hands and shows them his side. And then it says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord, they recognized him because of the nails in his hand and his side. And Jesus said, peace be unto you as the father have sent me. I am sending you. He says, the authority that was given to me, I am now giving that authority to you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And so what did he do? It goes on to say, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Look also at Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verse number 11. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe. Here the disciples also didn't believe that Jesus was alive. They didn't believe that Mary had seen him. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of the disciples while they were walking in the countryside. These returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appears to the eleven. So here we see that after Jesus' death and resurrection, that as he appeared, there was a lack of belief concerning his resurrection, even by the 11 disciples who had been with him for the past three years. And as a result of that, he had to appear before them so that they could see the evidence that he indeed was alive, that he indeed had been resurrected from the dead. They had to see 
the nail prints in his hand. They had to see the place in his side where the spear had pierced him in order for them to believe that he indeed was Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, remember, the disciples were fearful of the Jews. They were afraid that they too would lose their lives. So when Jesus appeared to them, he said to them, peace be unto you. In John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 27, he says it this way. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So he says, I'm giving you my peace. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He says, I am giving you what I have. I am giving you my peace. I'm giving you my security. I'm giving you my wholeness so that you will not have to be fearful or afraid. Let's go back to the prophecy in Zechariah. We'll look at chapter 13, verse number six. If someone asks, where are these wounds on your body? They will answer, the wounds I have been given at the house of my friend. In other words, they're speaking prophetically concerning Jesus and him receiving wounds in his body. And he asked the question, in other words, where did you get these wounds? He says, I received them in the house of my friend is where I received them. So we see here in John's gospel, chapter 20, in verse 25, but he says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas is referring to the fact that if Jesus, who was crucified, who they saw hanging on the cross, who they knew died there on Calvary, if he indeed had been raised from the dead, if he was now alive, then there would be evidence of the marks in his body that put him to death. And so his statement is that I will not believe that he has been raised from the dead until I have put my finger in the nail holes in his hand and thrust my hand into the place where the spear has gone into his side. Then, Thomas says, then and only then will I believe that he is the Lord God, the Messiah. Let's go to the Psalms. For in Psalms 22, which is a Psalm of David, there is a prophetic flow here concerning the Messiah. Look at Psalms 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cry of anguish? Notice how David begins this Psalm with my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here he's feeling forsaken. Look at Psalms 9, 
verse 10. Those who knew your name trusted in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Here he's speaking of God never forsaking those who seeks him. But in Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now let's go to the fulfillment of this prophecy. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, we will look at verse 46. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatini, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here we have Jesus on the cross at three in the afternoon crying out to God the same prophetic word or words that David spoke in the Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For as Jesus was hanging there on the cross, as he was receiving the judgment, the punishment for our sin, as he was receiving the punishment for our iniquity, as he was bearing the judgment and the curse for our generations in his body, he cried out to God wanting to know why was he feeling forsaken at that moment. For we know now that God could not bear to look on him as he bore the sin and the iniquity of the entire world. Let's go back to Psalms 22 and we'll look at verses 7 and 8. All who see me mark me. They hurled insults, shaking their head, heads. He trusted in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Here we see the prophetic word spoken in the Psalms concerning the way the people would mark Jesus as he's hanging on Calvary's cross. Look at Job 17 and 2. Surely markers surround me. My eyes must dwell on their hostility. Here we see Jesus on the cross, and as these markers are surrounding him, he has to be aware, he has to see exactly how the people felt concerning him as he suffered there for your sin and for mine. Look at this fulfillment in Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. So they insulted him because he was the son of God. They insulted him because he was the king of the Jews. Look at Mark 15, 32. Let this Messiah, the king of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also harp insults at him. They're saying, if he's the Messiah, if he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. Come on down from there so we can see you get off the cross. And then by seeing you come down from the cross, we will then believe. Look at Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and save us. Look at Mark 15, 29. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head. So we see the fulfillment of this prophecy coming from Psalms. They hurled insults at him. They are shaking their head. Listen to what they are saying. So you 
who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. They are marking his words. They are marking the fact that he said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Not realizing he was referring to the temple of his body. That after three days, his body would be raised from the dead and he would be restored as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, as the Messiah, the Anointed One, and the Son of God. In their insults, they said, he trusted in the Lord. Look at Psalms 91, verse 14. Because he loved me, saith the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name. God says, because Jesus acknowledged his name, because Jesus put his trust in him, that he was going to rescue him. In other words, he would not leave his body in hell. He would raise him from the dead and he would protect him from the enemy, the adversary, being able to hold his body down. For the scripture says the grave could not hold his body down. Death could not keep him. And since the grave could not hold his body down, and since death could not keep him, all of us who put our trust in the Lord, all of us who believe in what the Messiah has done, also are entitled to the love and the protection of the Father for us. Look at the fulfillment, Luke chapter 23, verse 35 and 36. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one, the soldiers also came up and marked him. They offered him wine vinegar. In other words, they were offering him, offering him wine vinegar that would help deaden the pain that he was suffering while he was on the cross. But the rulers said if he's the chosen one and he saved others, then he had the ability to save himself. But we must understand that Jesus came as the Lamb of God. He came to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to die for the sin of the world. He came that we would reestablish our relationship with God the Father through his birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection, that we would come to know him as the Messiah, the Anointed One, and be reconciled back to the Father. Had he come down from the cross, had he decided that he would not die, then you and I will still be held liable for our sins. We would still have to stand and be judged for every sin in which we commit. But because he died for the sin of the world, the grace, the unmerited favor of God is extended to us that we could accept what he did. And by accepting what he did, it's as if we had never sinned at all. It's as if we were born without the homosomes and chromosomes of sin that came to us through Adam, we are born again. We are a new creation. We are a 
holy nation, a royal priesthood, because Jesus chose not to come down from the cross. Let's go back to Psalms chapter 22, verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Here we see that as he's hanging there, he's heartbroken. His heart is broken because of the weight of sin. Verse 17, all of my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. Verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So as he's hanging there, they even divide, divide his clothes and begin to cast lots. They're gambling for them. Let's look at John's gospel, chapter 19, verse 22. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened, the scripture said, that it might be fulfilled. They divided my clothing among themselves, or they divided my clothing among them and cast lot for my garments. So you see, they stripped him completely naked, dividing his clothes and casting lot for his undergarments. Look at this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, stating that as he was there, they had disfigured him. They beat him so bad that he was unrecognizable. He, you couldn't even recognize who he was from the way they had beaten him. And he bore this. He went through all of this so that you and I would not have to go through these things ourselves, so that you and I would be free and separated from the bondages, from the addictions, from sin, and from Satan, that we would have the Zoe of God, the life of God, the God kind of life, that we could live victorious, a overcoming life, all because of what Jesus went through just for you and for me. Let's look at the fulfillment of this prophecy. First, we'll look at Mark 15, 17. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set them on him. Look at Luke 22, 64. They blindfold him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? Matthew 26, 67. Then they spit in his face. They struck him with their fists. They smacked him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Let's look at the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Look at verse 4. Surely he took our pain. He bore our suffering. Yet we considered him 
punished by God. We considered him punished by God, but yet it was our pain and our suffering that was placed upon him so that we could be reconciled, that we could be redeemed, that we could be restored back into right relationship, back into fellowship with God the Father. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 15. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Polydax? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Crucify him, crucify him, they hollered. Take him away and crucify him. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. He didn't say a word. He endured the suffering, the humiliation, the pain, the punishment. He endured that for you, and he endured that for me. Isn't he worthy? of praise, of adoration, of giving glory and honor unto him? Isn't he worthy of us accepting him as our Lord and our Savior? Isn't he worthy because of all he endured for you and for me? Yes, if I must say it myself, worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world to receive glory and honor and power and dominion and praise. Yes, Jesus is worthy to receive the dedication, the submission of my life to him because of all that he did for me. Look at Isaiah 53 and 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich, in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Let's look at the burial of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, beginning at verse 57. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself became a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body, and Pilate ordered that it would be given to him. Joseph took the body of Jesus, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in a new tomb that he had cut out of rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went his way. Notice here Jesus is buried in the tomb or the grave of a rich man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea just as was prophesied in Isaiah 53, that he would be buried with the rich. Let's look at the, this prophecy in Psalm 34, verse 20. He protected all of his bones, not one of them will be broken. Here's the prophecy concerning the bones of Jesus, that not one bone of Jesus would be broken. Let's see it fulfilled in the New Testament. John 19 verse 33. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead and they did not break his leg. For you see, a part of the process of crucifixion, if a person had been hanging there on the cross and suffering long enough and 
it was a certain time of the day and they were not yet dead, the Roman soldiers would break their legs. And in breaking their legs, it would cause them to suffocate quicker and enable them to die. But here we find Jesus was already dead, and so there was no need for them to break his legs. These things, in verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones were broken. So you see, there's a fulfillment of the scripture here in John's gospel. So stop and think. We talked about the probability of a blind man being able to reach into the state of Texas being filled with silver dollars up to 12 inches with one gold dollar being placed in the midst of it being able to reach in and find it pulling it out on the first try what the probability was for him to do that and we associated that probability with one person, any one person, being able to fulfill each and every one of these prophecies concerning the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in order to put themselves in the position and the place of each one of these things being done was just like that blind man reaching into the state of Texas on the first try and pulling out that gold dollar. Yet God knew when he spoke these things prophetically in his word that his son, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, would fulfill them each and every one to the period, the comma, to the letter that he would fulfill them so that you and I would be able to receive, to believe, to accept what he did and to be reconciled, to be redeemed for he purchased us back to the father with his blood. He redeemed us being the lamb of God so that you and I would have life, the Zoe of God, abundant life, the God kind of life. But not only that, but that we would have life eternally, that we would have eternal life, and that we would have an eternal relationship with God the Father. But it is up to you and I to accept what he did. It's up to you and I to have confidence in what he did. It's up to you and I to believe what he did. And by believing it, by accepting it, by having confidence, we are then transformed from death to life. And we are, yes, indeed, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are born again. We are a child of God. We are sons of God. We are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ in our relationship with God the Father. For as he is, Christ Jesus, so are we in this earth because of what Jesus has done. Let's look at a couple scriptures concerning his resurrection. Psalm 16 verse 10 prophesies it this way, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you leave your faithful one to see decay. All right, now let's look at that fulfillment. That fulfillment in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, beginning with verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices 
they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord. So you see, the women went to the tomb. They went to anoint his body. They found upon their arrival that the stone in which Joseph had rolled in front of the tomb was no longer there in front of the tomb. And upon entering the tomb, they noticed that the body of Jesus was no longer there. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captive and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean? Here we find that Jesus ascended on high. He was raised from the dead, but he ascended and went back into the presence of God the Father, ascending on high so that we, too, would be able to be raised from the dead. Let's look at this prophecy in Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. This is an actual event that happened with Jonah, but it's also a prophecy concerning Jesus the Christ. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Look at Matthew's gospel, chapter 12, verse 39. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here we see that Jesus would be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, no longer. He would then, on the third day, rise from the dead. We noted early that he had risen from the dead, for he showed himself to the eleven, he showed himself to Thomas, and he showed them the nail prints in his hand. He let Thomas put his hand in his side. He allowed them to know that he indeed was the Son of God who had been raised from the dead, and then he breathed on them the peace of God, the Holy Spirit, and sent them out with the same peace, the power, and the authority that he had to go into all of the world to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God, that whoever believed and received what he has done would therefore be saved, would be delivered from death, from the penalty of sin, and would be born again, would receive a new life, the Zoe, the God kind of life, and would be reconciled back to the Father in their relationship so that they could live eternally in the presence of a great and awesome God. Thank you for tuning in to Empowerful Life. If you are ready to shake off religion and tradition, to be, to do, and to have everything God purposed for you, then continue to tune in as we answer your questions and reveal to you the mysteries and secrets of the kingdom of God. Feel free to email us your questions and prayer requests at EmpoweredForLifeTV at AOL.com. That's EmpoweredForLifeTV at AOL.com. Or visit us online at www.empoweredforlifetv.com.
empoweredforlife.tv. Again, thank you for joining us, and we look forward to sharing the Word of God with you.